0: Wahed helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you 8 simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy.
1: As-salamu alaykum and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by the Muslim Vibe and as always sponsored by Wahid Invest. This week I'm joined by Sheikh Jafar Ali. Sheikh, thank you for joining us. As-salamu alaykum, Pleasure to be here. Um, so I guess to start off with, uh, a lot of the, the listeners won't need an introduction as you've you've written for us um, various kind of epic series. <laughs> uh, I say epic because usually seven or eight um, parts, and each one is about three thousand words. <laughs> So I guess I thank you for for all of that. Um, my honour. But normally you set me a word limit of around six hundred words. Yeah. And uh, I I just ignore that. Well, no, we know yeah, we we it's know. Terrible. Our, I apologise. We set everyone else a thousand words, but for you we tell you <laughs> six hundred. <you> know. <laughs> we know it's going to be that much more. Um, so I guess yeah, I think for for people that don't know you, would you be able to tell us a bit more about what you're doing right now and what your kind of academic background is as well? ar Um So I uh,
2: my background is that I. When I left school I went straight into business for myself and um, we set up a a medical recruitment agency which would supply locum doctors to the NHS Mm -hmm. and I was doing that until about 2011 but even prior to that I was engaged in Islamic studies on a part-time basis. It came to kind of a decision where do I continue on with business or do I really want to focus in Islamic studies and I decided to focus on Islamic studies. So I've studied in Birmingham, I've studied in London, and I've also studied in Iraq, where I continue to do my studies. I'm just back here for
1: a couple of weeks, um, doing a few lectures, a
2: few interviews, discussion circles
1: like this. Is there any like particular area of interest um, that, that led you towards going down the Islamic route? or Probably I would say I had a very wide
2: circle of friends, and um, that included a spectrum of different types of Muslims, mm. Sufi, Sunni, Shia. Brelvi and in the discussions it just really focused me on how little I really know and how much I really need to go into further depth to understand my own self and my own religion so just those broad discussions being happy to engage with different types of people that's really what inspired me to to do what I do so eventually alhamdulillah we've written a couple of books as you mentioned we
1: try to write articles as much as possible and uh, just give back to the community where, where we can. That's fantastic, and and I I pray that you you get the opportunity to continue to do this for the rest of your life. All of us, inshallah. Thank you. Um, So, today, being the anniversary of the suffragettes um, movement, uh, I think we we spoke about, um, or, or we decided to speak about, talking about, I guess, Islam, and the question, loosely, is Islam a misogynistic religion? Now, I think I should probably start by stating the fact that two men discussing misogyny in Islam is a little bit ironic. We're going to have our biases, I imagine. <laughs> so. But, so I, I guess let, let, let's start with that. I mean, um, you wanted to, to discuss the question itself. Um, so the question being, is Islam a misogynistic religion? Um, over to you, just initial thoughts. So immediately, we know that there's going to be a
2: number of components to this discussion. So for example, we need to define Islam, define misogynistic, and then we have secondary issues such as um, the issue of patriarchy matriarchy we have the issue of feminism so immediately everyone is going to come to this discussion with their own experience of that word and the problem that i would have with the question of is islam misogynistic is that i would argue from the outset that the question itself is one that is imposed upon us that comes from a place a background whereby uh, this question has been Created by a certain framework of thinking has been lobbied so much that now we almost have to accept it as a question If we argued that Islam is a divine religion Then Islam is supposed to be a religion that gets the best out of everyone in every given social circumstance That means whether you're living in the Amazon rainforest or whether you're living in New York and everything in between And also in every space and time that develops through that So is Islam misogynistic? Is Islam a religion that caters primarily to men and seeks to put men in a position over women for the benefit of men? Immediately the question is coloured because the question is not a question that comes from Islam in its reality. It's coming from an external source that wishes to project the question onto Islam. And we always know that there's a difference between the religion And the practiser of the religion. There's an Islam and then there's a Muslim. Mm -hmm. And the way in which a Muslim with all of his historical bias, all of his cultural apparatus begins to interpret Islam is very different from Islam in its reality. So So I would almost reject the question from its premise, from its source and say it's not not a valid question for the true Islam it becomes a valid question only for the way in which certain groups of Muslims choose to practice their Islam. So we should probably end the podcast then. Yeah, let's just go for some lunch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, what so, we can say yeah. is that certain Muslims in their interpretation of Islam yeah. can be
1: misogynistic. Okay, so why, why do you think that's the case? Because, I, I mean, looking at, for example, I was at the, the MCB had a, at a conference a few weeks ago. And at that, um, there was a presentation by Anita Naya who was talking about mosques um, not being inclusive enough in terms right. of like female representation and Agreed. having prayer spaces Huge for women. And, and there was a shocking statistic um, she mentioned as to how many Islamic centres don't have a space for, for women to pray in, which I think is staggering. Now, how, if, if we say that you know, the, the, the framing of the question is wrong, let's look at then Muslim men or Muslims and the leaders of our communities. How and why have they been able to interpret and got away with in- interpreting Islam in such a way that, they, that, that women are an afterthought in our centres, that don't have preferential treatment? How, how has that developed from, from a religion that you would probably claim um, gives women the most respect and, and has them equal to, if not higher than, than men? And again, I guess that's the question in itself. Are women equal to, higher men? We'll come back to that. <laughs> the issue
2: of equality, equity, so on and so forth, justice in a, in a society. The question of how have we allowed that to develop? And the answer is simply that, two, the historical interpretation of Islam has been such that it has driven that kind of system that has pushed women back. What has almost allowed that to become normative in the interpretation has been the cultural dynamic so that the culture of a middle eastern religion mm-hmm. has allowed its interpretation to be validated through its cultural norms through its cultural practices so you're almost wrapping up this religion in a way in which it's always it's almost already going to be failing because you're now judging the religious doctrine through your culture as opposed to allowing your
1: culture to be motivated through the true religion or the religious text. So just on that one, I'm I'm instantly drawn to thinking about, um, at the time of the Prophet, how men or how families used to bury their daughters. Exactly. And and if I understand correctly, what you're trying to say is that the Prophet took <laughs> people in a certain direction. Yeah. Um, but that's not... Necessarily- it's almost where that ended. The moment the
2: Prophet sallam died and the revelation stopped instead of continuing that trend of liberation mm. for women and for all parts of society we can talk about the issue of racism and so, but that's a separate topic yeah. but on that understanding instead of continuing that trend the practitioners of islam put that as the finality of what the religion intended so let's let's go back to some of these examples yeah. at the time of the prophet they were burying their daughters alive the time of the prophet if you happen not to be buried and you survived that tragic circumstance then you would immediately be either married off at a young age or sold off into slavery or sex slavery or prostitution and the Quran talks about this we can mention some verses in a minute if you happen to survive that when you were married then you were treated as nothing more than property so that if your husband died your son inherited you as property so that was the prevailing circumstances of pre-Islamic Arabia the Prophet comes and Revelation comes and a plethora of verses challenge these issues mm-hmm. لا تقتلوا أولادكم Imlaq. do not kill your children out of fear of poverty نحن نرزقكم وإياهم, we will sustain you and we sustain them so the whole notion that we're unable to have children because women won't work And it's just going to be men who work immediately destroyed another verse came the children who are buried alive will have the opportunity to ask for what reason was i buried and so on and so forth and so many verses came to to smash these practices once the prophet died the query is is that where islam took us to and there was nothing more than that or was that the beginning of the revolution was that the beginning of the liberation of society Now, as society continues to shift and change into locality, time and space, Islam has to continue that liberation of societies so that it's always on an upward trend. Otherwise, Islam becomes stagnated. The rest of the world pushes forward and we are the ones who are left behind in a 7th century Arabian paradigm. Mm -hmm. And that's where movements such as feminism comes about to take people forward rightly or wrongly in their way. But they take over the liberation process and it goes in whatever direction it does. And then what happens is we raise this question, why is Islam so misogynistic? Well, it was never intended to be. It's only been an interpretation of certain peoples that have allowed it to decline back into what it has become. And that's why the question itself is a flawed question. And when we ask it and re-ask it, all it does is drive the wrong impression of what Islam was and what Islam has become.
1: Okay. Um, Not the process.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, so if essentially is Islam in its finality in terms of the seventh century, Mm. or did it begin the process? Yeah. We talk about women's movement. Again, we're talking about certain language that's created. I would argue, Islam was the first true women's movement. We're talking about liberating women from the clutches of what that society was like. Empowering them to be in a position to have property, to be able to dispose of their own property, Mm. to have an independent thought, to be educated where it took only up until the previous century for women to be able to vote, for women to be able to be educated. But in the 7th century in Arabia, the Prophet not granted them those rights because again that's misogynistic liberated society so that society realised that those are their inherent rights anyway yeah. now if that's what the 7th century Arabian paradigm managed to achieve imagine what the Prophet would have expected to have continued in the 8th century 9th century, 10th century as all regions began to be introduced to Islam
1: and created this kind of globalised vision of Islam Okay, so I guess we're we're, we're getting slightly off-topic here, but it is still relevant. So you have verses in the Quran, for example, that talk about how uh, in the court of law you need two female witnesses in place of one male witness. Um, th- that, that's something that people often point to and say that, you know, why? And some of the answers that I've heard are things like, oh, women are emotional. Therefore, one might be lying or one might be on her period and, and as such, she's not reliable, things like that. Um, so... <clears throat> what, I guess, yeah, what, what would be your, your response or take on that?
2: So what we have is context, number one, mm-hmm. of the verse, and the verse itself cannot be decontextualized from its wider society. So at the time of Revelation, women were still vastly uneducated. I would still say maybe 99.9% of them could not read and write. 99% of them were not engaged In being able to dispose of their property therefore Islam comes and starts to make a very slow social change we know this for example because the prophet has a hadith where he says teach your wives hisab accountability meaning how to be able to count be accountable for household income and expenditure Mm. that proves prior to that that they weren't able to even count because if you're a person who's looking after the household bills and you don't know how to count things are going to go very wrong so the prophet says to the men make sure you teach your women how to be able to count now it then comes to this verse the particular context of this verse is not general it's specific specific to a woman testifying about transactions so a woman who previously was unable to count had no rights to be able to stand in front of a court was now being allowed to be able to go into a court And was being encouraged to testify. But because she was uneducated, didn't know how to count, wasn't experienced in dealing with matters of transaction law, business, being at the head of a board. All of these things were new. At that point, Islam said, if she forgets, if there is a little bit of doubt in her, but she has a general concept of what was right and wrong or what was said, bring someone else to back up that claim. It gave space to allow a person who may not have been fully confident in the public space because of centuries of oppression Mm -hmm. to allow them space and say, if you need someone else to participate with you, feel free to be able to have that. Now, just imagine we changed this for a second and not to a woman and we gave it to, um, let's say, the 18th century, 19th century in the United States of America, where a black person who was... Didn't read, didn't write, completely brainwashed into a certain way of thinking that you're supposed to be oppressed. This is what the Bible says. Now he comes to testify about an incident that he's seen. Can you imagine his level of confidence in front of, say, the white master, the superior race, the judge with all this pomp and glory? He goes into a courtroom on his own and he now has to testify. Could there be a degree of which where he's not going to be trusted? He's not going to be... Uh, validated in his opinion Mm. if you need someone else to come and assist you and back you up in what you're saying have someone else to remind you have someone else to be able to validate would you have had a problem with it? you would have said in these social circumstances we understand the context and therefore there may be a second person to come and back up up this black slave witness Mm. why is it such a problem to think that at that time Islam sought to assist women in the confidence building in being in such a public setting where for hundreds of years they would be all but ripped away from that and not even had any consideration of it now come to 2018 is there any possible way we could interpret that verse in the same way no a woman is the the most powerful person in europe such as chancellor merkel in germany the amount of ceos academics doctors so on and so forth so on and so forth so now the social circumstances are so different where it's norm there's not even a question of can a woman testify can a woman be confident in herself that's the standard therefore the quran is talking at a certain circumstances in a certain place and time this is the way in which we assist women's growth today in 2018 how do we assist women's growth That's ultimately what we're talking about in this conversation.
1: So are you saying essentially that we should be looking at the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law itself? At times we need to do
2: both, and that's a system of hermeneutics, the way in which we interpret any text, be it the Constitution of the United States of America, Mm -hmm. uh, Second Amendment rights, gun rights. Do we understand it literally or contextually in the spirit of it? Now, there are times when we do have to understand certain things literally, There are times where we understand it in the spirit, but when it comes to something social, such as women's rights, that has to be by priority understood in the spirit of the text. Because we are talking about a revelation that is brought around in the seventh century paradigm. Therefore, the way a paradigm shifts and the expectations of society shift also need to have uh, an, an, an awaiting in how we actually look at all of those texts that have come down to us. This isn't problematic. Yeah. This is something accepted in all
1: scholarly circles. So um, with regards to gender roles yeah. in society and I think in marriage as well, so just to let you know, I'm not sure if you're aware, but February is actually marriage season on the Muslim Vibe. So we've got um, content around various... Different. So we've actually had an article on, on gender roles. We've got Brilliant. things around divorce, about abuse in relationships, Fantastic. finding a spouse... Um, going through the Much stages needed. of pregnancy as well, Brilliant. the role of the father, the role of the mother, and and I think um, the, the 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 hot topic for me at least, and like you know, I, I've been married now five years. Um, some might say Alhamdulillah, some might not. I'm just gonna put congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just move on swiftly. So, um, but one of the one of the topics I always kind of have this discussion uh, with my wife about is about gender roles um, and. Whether there are whether, whether there is a difference between a man and a woman, um, and then you you know you come across things uh, alongside that, verses or not verses sorry hadith and things like that that say things like uh, a woman can't leave the house without her husband's permission, or even for example if a man um, desires his wife sexually yeah. she has to oblige. Yeah, there was one about if she's cooking, and he calls her for you know to the bedroom she has to go. Yeah, things like that. Don't really paint a very equal position in my eyes, if that makes sense. Sure. So, how do we reconcile?
2: Before, before I, I, I try to give an answer, again from my A, male biases, religious text biases, and so yeah. on and so forth, let me throw it back to you. Mm-hmm. Would you suggest that those sort of rights should be equally reciprocated or not? If you
1: were cooking yeah. and your wife approached you, yeah. would it be her right? So you just stop what you're doing. So this is the thing. So I think from, from and I I'm I don't know much in this space because I'm almost too scared to to <laughs> to think that okay now this is it. <laughs>
2: Your wife's gonna be paying closest. Yeah, attention she's gonna be listening to this.
1: No, but I, I, the way I see it is that um, let's assume that I have the right to refuse my wife permission to leave the house, right? But as as the sort of uh, head of the household personally. I would never refuse her that right because I, I believe that would be unjust. Right. Because I have free freedom of movement. Let's use some Brexit terms because why not? <laughs> I have freedom of movement. You I you in she, or out? I, I'm in. Okay, but that's again, that's another podcast. We can do that. You're probably out. I can, by the no way. No? Okay, okay. cool. Uh, that's it. We're <laughs> good. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I, I believe that it would be unjust of me not to let her or not to afford her the same freedoms that I have in the right. house. So, I see that as like, you, you, you have those responsibilities let's say as as a man and you have the 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 right to over your over yeah. your wife but at the same time she has rights over you and i think that if okay, you are so not
2: are those in your mind
1: equally reciprocated
2: i.e. if if islam stated she must ask for your right yeah. to leave the house yeah. is that equally reciprocated in your mind you must also ask her, right?
1: Uh, from what I've read and seen, that's not there. I'm asking what Islam okay. I'm asking you. Why, ha- why personally? Yeah, just to, I understand, before we go into the yeah, special. Yeah, yeah. how
2: would you see the concept of the reciprocation of that right?
1: Uh, yeah, I would see it as a sort of like for like. Personally. Like for like. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so. Am I going to help? Indeed. I've, I just sat here and condemned <laughs> you.
2: Yeah. Okay, but uh, if, you, if you slip a, 50, a crisp 50, yeah, I can get you out of it. Okay, okay, this, this is good
1: to know. Everyone listening, <laughs> I'll give you the bank details afterwards. this. Cool. So, uh,
2: l- let's compare and contrast now, because we're talking about gender norms, yeah. gender roles in society. Islam as a religion seeks to do what? It seeks to get the best out of every human being at the individual and at their collective level. So the collective may be as small as the husband wife collective could be as collective as worldwide and getting the best out of everyone. The way in which it gets the best out of everyone is through the liberation of themselves and the things that hold them back and helping them to reach a stage of genuine insight of God, worship of God and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. When we come to any other sort of political ideology, social ideology, they may not come from the same starting point, which is an obvious statement, but it's, it's necessary for us to mention that. So something like feminism, which also has a huge stay or a huge statement on gender norms and gender roles, the, the different waves, academically there's three um, waves of, of feminism, they seek to be able to redefine these gender norms, such as saying, there aren't any gender norms and therefore absolutely equal no external idea can impose upon me the relationship or the essentials of a relationship we are free to do what we want when we want how we want and there's no such thing as because i'm a man here are my normative roles in a marriage in a family in society and therefore by extension there are normative no normative roles for a for a woman islam disagrees with that at a starting point. And that's why some of these questions end up coming about. Mm. Now, if the feminist movement hadn't started 18th, 19th, 20th century, would we even be asking these questions about normative roles, traditional roles in society, or would we continue to accept them as what is best for society? So these are background questions for people to think about as an audience. Mm. Why have we reached even to the point to ask is it wrong if I went towards my wife and I asked her and I wanted to to, to have a you know, sexually fulfilling encounter that it's wrong for me to ask that. Thereafter will come the second question of is it wrong or is it forcible on her? And then immediately we come to the questions of our terminology today such as marital rape and so on and so forth. Now, when we come to this, uh, we have two sets of traditions in the Islamic sense. We have what is known as rights which indicate wujub so I'll translate wujub as the nature of obligation not the obligation itself the nature that there is something obligated upon you those come with rights the second are what is known as the mustahabbat. those things which are recommendations what we have as you mentioned in the text and the interpretation of the text interpretation of the text is as you say if uh, a man is in the house um, if a woman is there the wife she has to ask for um, leave before she can exit the house why is that that something innately within the relationship or is that right because as the head of the house he is responsible for the entirety of the house now, if it's an inherent thing, it means that that right of the husband is always going to be there and that the woman is subservient, the wife is subservient to the man. Mm. If it's that Islam in its gender roles and in its social roles has placed a degree of responsibility on the father, on a husband, it doesn't mean that she has to ask permission. It means that... She is informing and as his role as the head of the household of responsibility, if he feels that there is a negative for her leaving the house, a danger for her leaving the house, his role in looking after the house means he can say no. Now, let me give you a simple example. You have head of a business. You have a captain of a ship. If you don't have these heads, someone that is overall responsible for the business, someone overall responsible for the ship, anyone can do whatever they want. There is no point of authority. Mm-hmm. So Islam is not saying that a woman is lesser than man. It says that man is responsible for the house. And if he is responsible for the house, with that come certain normative practices. That if you're going to go out, then you inform the person as to where you're going. If he fears that there is a Genuine reason to say no, such as there is a danger, he doesn't want you to do, go
1: somewhere in particular. Then his right, as the head of the household comes to be able to say no. Okay, but I guess that the the question will will naturally come as to to so why is the man the head of a house as opposed to the woman? So, from a theological
2: perspective, mm-hmm. the man is given that responsibility by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that his effective role in the family unit is to be the the mainstay, is to be the head. Now part of this has a wider implication as to the psychology of the man's role. What we find sometimes in some societies, the concept of a man being able to um, get a woman pregnant, leave, not have any responsibility, not feel that he's part of the family, not feel that he is a mainstay to bring up a secure stable household if I Stru- sorry uh, strong structure, and sorry strong and stable strong and stable going back to Brexit <coughs> <Sorry>. if we <laughs> what's well, funny we didn't plan this yeah. it's just, that's actually a, a, the Brexit it's it's just, just the, the Brexit theme running throughout. now so <laughs> if we argue that there is no structure within the family unit mm-hmm. then what is the consequence of that Man can go wherever he wants, woman can go wherever she wants, child gets to go wherever she wants. There has to be an authority in every structure. There's an authority here in in, in the Muslim vibe. There's an authority in government. So what makes us think that we can just remove all gender norms and all norms of structure in a society when it comes to the family unit? Okay, so there's norms of authority in government. There's norms of authority in a court system. There's norms of authority in the street when it comes to police. But hey, when it comes to family, we reduce all. We remove all norms altogether. We remove all authorities altogether. So in this, Islam has ordained that a man is responsible. This is really key, the wording that we use, so that people understand that it's not because a man is aggressive, or a man is physically stronger, that's the role on him, that he is responsible to look after his family. Now, in the same way, a woman is more responsible to nurture and to develop the family unit through its morality, through the softer side, through its education. Now, would someone say that that's more attuned for a man to do? No, I think by nature we accept that a woman is more nurturing in her role we also uh, sorry, accept
1: okay. through so just to, to challenge this one point please. would you not say that's just a gender stereotype i, I understand like biologically men are bigger stronger and whatever else but are those not just stereotypes because i know some pretty scrawny men <laughs> and, and, and i know some 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 women that are pretty emotionless as well yeah so so what happens in that household for example or are these not just us feeding into these kind of normative stereotypes that exist we have a starting point that Islam talks about at the generality of
2: mankind, the generality of innate nature. Mm -hmm. It might be that in one particular house, a man by virtue of his own disposition may relinquish certain practices and another person may come to the fore of that. That's not a problem for Islam to say at the individual household level, something can change. For example... Uh, right now, I'm just, we're just throwing out examples. We're not saying that this is the specific. We might argue that Angela Merkel is the most suited to be able to lead Germany. She is the best person to be able to do so. Nicola Sturgeon, she might be the best candidate to be able to do a certain role in a certain country. That goes for businesses, that goes for academia, that goes for courts. In the same way, in a particular household, if a man is more disposed to certain strengths and weaknesses, there's no harm in saying that the equilibrium or the balance of a particular household structure may be different. There's no problem for Islam to accept that. But as the normative, Islam has given a degree of responsibility to a man based upon his psychology, based upon his innate nature, based upon his desires, power, you might call this power structures, you whatever but Islam has given that responsibility to a man to be able to lead within the family unit. It doesn't say a woman cannot be equal. It doesn't say a woman cannot have a degree over a man in the specific. We're talking at the general level of the way in which we have inherited our societies.
1: Okay, now moving uh, a little bit wider out towards society mm. um, and, and, and gender roles and whatever else within that space, um, historically looking at Islam, all the prophets were men. Um that's an assumption, but I'm going to accept uh, the assumption. Okay, is there is there something to the contrary?
2: There's no evidence. I guess we don't have, yeah, no, fair enough. There's or not. no evidence that a woman has been entitled a prophet or a messenger. However, what we do have in the Quran is specifically individual women being chosen by Allah subhanahu wa taala, which is no less than prophethood in its reality. Forget, you know, someone bringing a book or someone bringing a law. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Maryam About Lady Maryam uh, Bibi Mary uh, That uh, Allah has chosen you Now imagine that was about A man You would say Allah has chosen that man Above the rest of society Mm. Now she may not have been given a prophetic Role in the traditional Understanding of it but Allah has chosen Her to lead and to be an Example and to be a sign of all Uh, to mankind so i understand the immediate desire to to say well all men were prophets but actually we do have women who are raised above men so i'll give you an example again just so we can we can talk about some of the hadith literature no one is going to deny the stations of the two grandsons of the prophet muhammad peace and blessings be upon them or hassan and hussein so the all, all Muslims accept the hadith that says That Hassan and Hussain Sayyideh Shababi Ahlul Jannah Masters of the youth of paradise yeah. What they don't know, most Muslims Is that Hassan and Hussein Both state that their mother is better than them Hussein, in his hadith literature says My brother is better than me And my mother is superior to me So if we're talking about the grandchildren of the prophet who actually state that fatima was better ali has salam is better than men when we come to the concept of prophethood mm. fine prophethood is one element of leadership but actually the widest if you step back and look at the wider concept of leadership in islam there is no problem in allowing a woman to be at the helm
1: of responsibility in any social setting and I guess that was actually religious, what, yeah. religious social setting. That, that was going to be my next point. So looking more in a sort of contemporary space, because um, I, I actually put this this topic for discussion. I put it out to a few friends and, and family members and whatever. I've got some feedback, um, and and one of the one of the points was that looking at hijab, for example, a lot of the time it's a man giving a lecture talking to women about hijab and their responsibility and obviously there's that relatability factor where like you don't understand the struggle and whatever else but why why do we not um or or do you think there's a need to restructure our centers so that we have for example a, a male religious head and a female religious head that's a brilliant question and it almost goes back to the
2: starting question when we talked about a historical interpretation of Islam and then trying to apply it to modernity Mm. versus actually understanding that Islam from its source was always on a trajectory of growth, always on a trajectory of liberation. Now, we've asked about this question of heads of of, of religions. I can't speak about other um, madhahib and other um, sects, so I don't want to, to go there. What I do know is that internally in this Shi'i dynamic, there has been for the last fifty years a question on: Can a woman be the supreme
1: religious jurist over a man? Right. So can, can we get a spoiler? What's the answer? <laughs> is it, is it a yes or a no?
2: Right. So so <laughs> this debate has been raging in the intellectual scholarly mm, circles. Yeah. The head of All Shi'i thinking 30, 40 years ago, by the name of Sayyid Khoi, God bless him and the good work he's done, he actually wrote that the prohibition of a woman from being the supreme judge in a court or being the supreme religious authority in Islam is very much linked to gender norms in society. Whereby, where a society... May not respect a woman's testimony or her judgment, at that point it would not behoove Islam and her to be in a position whereby she's going to make an authoritative statement and then be completely rejected in her authority. Mm. It is better to wait for society to awaken, to be liberated in their thinking, and when those norms have an equilibrium, then a woman can be the supreme religious authority, even over a man. So let's unpack that. You give a fatwa. Both man and woman are obligated to accept it. Fifty years ago in the Middle East, if a woman had given the same fatwa, let's be honest, because of gender norms in the society, man would have rejected it. Who are you to be a judge over me? Who are you to give this fatwa? what would have happened? It would have put back the liberation of women in modernity because what it would have done is seek to put them down. Who are you? I'm a woman, I'm not accepting her. And then you would have come the the nonsensical jokes. She's on her period. She's emotional. She only came without this view because she's emotional, because she's got a, a bone to pick with men. Now, as we have Liberated ourselves from I would like to think The majority of us have Liberated ourselves From such nonsense yeah. To say That a woman is so emotional She's naqis <laughs> al-aqool She has a deficiency In her intellect Those things have been there For centuries Now we're beginning To step away from that There is that equilibrium Our scholars are saying That prohibition Has been lifted The prohibition That was there To secure The respect of a woman Now that we have innately begun to respect Mm. a woman can be the supreme authority so now it means that in our circles if a woman is more knowledgeable than again i'm talking from the internal shi'i dynamic and i can't impose this upon anyone else but the supreme religious authority in in iraq for at the moment is ayatollah sistani if a woman theoretically was more knowledgeable than ayatollah sistani and gave the fatwa There would be no reason Islamically for us to not accept her as the supreme religious authority. Now, come to the West. I would like to think we are not bogged down, and I'm using my language very specifically. We are not bogged down by that theory of gender norms, gender roles that might be present within the Middle East. Mm. No problem for a woman to work be on the street, engage in public life, be on TV, and so on and so forth. There is no problem in saying, this woman is more knowledgeable than me. It's not an embarrassment. In fact, it's brilliant. I want to learn from you. And I go into the, to the world of academia, I go into the world of books, and I can't wait to be taught by someone. Considering that attitude in the West, Islam therefore has now not only lifted the prohibition, it's the opposite. It encourages that we have the supreme religious authority From an equal, gen- equal gender position We should be trying to push The supreme religious authorities Coming from a woman Because that would mean That we begin to get parity yeah. It means that we get uh, uh, A greater experience of the Islamic understanding mm-hmm. Now that should be a norm That we're pushing in our roles So now I come back to your question In our mosques In our masajid In our Husayniyat. Well, where are they? That's where your question at the beginning, as I said, it's framed. Is Islam misogynistic? Islam is not misogynistic. Here is the proof. Go and achieve. Go and become the highest level intellectual superior over man if you can. Go and do it. Brilliant. Just the same as I would encourage a man and a brother to do it. I'm encouraging a sister to do it. It's only because the way in which we have historically interpreted the wider context of society to protect a woman from... The evil and the aggression that a man may have towards that now we've got rid of that thankfully at least i would think in our normative society that protection doesn't need to be there for them go and accomplish you've got angela merkel as as an example you've got this person example you have got this person. now why should religion be any different why should religion in any way shape or form curtail your your capacity now this is the difference between islam And let's say feminism, because Islam has to liberate and give empowerment in accordance, not with imposition, but in accordance with the capacity of society to understand that, um, that, uh, what do we say, that uh, trajectory of growth. If a society is not yet ready for something, if it's going to create more damage than good, Islam doesn't look at just trying to liberate one gender It has to understand the entirety of the society The entirety of the reaction that it's going to cause in society Therefore, in principle, whatever feminism is trying to achieve Mm. Islam doesn't say it's wrong for you to try to empower women No! We want to work together It doesn't say that we we don't want to have um, elements of equality and equity in society Islam wants to work with feminism it might be parts of feminism and the pace of feminism that Islam may point to and say, this is how we might approach the issue. These are the boundaries
1: of our response and so on and so forth. It's really interesting because I've always um, personally looked at Islam as a framework and, yes. and it's a framework, holistic framework, a holistic framework,
2: not compartmentalized framework.
1: Yeah. But it, it's one that we, we apply to, to the day right. and age. And it is applicable to every day and age in terms of, you know, the way it was applied at the time of the Prophet was such and it fit. But then it still applies today. And whenever I've sort of found myself uh, coming a bit unstuck with regards to looking at an issue or historical account and not quite grasping. And again, it could be my own limitations in my understanding of what Islam is. But I've always found that when you kind of look at the spirit of of the law and you look at the context, and that's that's a huge point I think you've made today, just generally the context of when these things were happening, who was involved, what the actual story is. It's like the verses of Quran that say, you know, slay the disbelievers wherever you find them. Right. And, and if you don't look at the context, the context of what's being said...
2: And whether that's limited, not not just contextually, but has that been limited to a particular time and space? Yeah. Whether it's even applicable now. Yeah. So we, we have all of these issues when it comes to gender norms, social norms, and so on and so forth. So now, um, imagine if the prophet had managed to change a society from being so ignorant 1,400 years ago, and where he reached... When it came to something like the suffragettes movement, which we're honoring today, imagine what the prophet would have been saying about that movement. Wouldn't he have been championing that, uh, what the suffragettes wanted to achieve? Let's talk about um, the right to vote, the right to to, um, inherit property rights that weren't there in the 18th century in Britain that he had managed to accomplish in 7th century Arabia in his 20 odd years of prophethood whole life was prophet, 20-odd years of being um, a a, a parent and declared prophet. Mm. So Islam is encouraging of these things. It wants to be participating. The problem was two things, generally religion, and secondly, specifically the way in which Islam was being interpreted. Let let me explain. I would argue, from my limited research, the real um, success behind the Enlightenment period of the 17th and 18th century was actually pointing out how backwards religion was. Religions were. Because it was supposed to be that religions were always empowering, always liberating, always freeing. But when religions became dogmatic, when religions became suppressive tools, then immediately people said, well, if this is your religion, and this is is God, and this is what the Bible says, and this is what the Quran says, I don't want anything to do with it. I have to circumvent the religion in order to go and achieve rights in order to achieve freedom. And religion was the one that pushed back against that. So of course people left religion. Of course people jumped towards feminism and the suffragettes movement and so on and so forth in order to have liberation of women. Now, of course, that's going to allow people to go freely in their own direction. But if Islam was properly applied, Mm. it would never have needed suffragette movement. Actually, the suffragette movement would have turned towards Islam and said, you're already doing... What we are trying to accomplish. Let me give a very simple example. Let's take the concept of slavery. Islam tried to get rid of slavery. We know this. And it only allowed slavery in the context of where if you got rid of it too quickly, the social system would have entirely collapsed. The Mm. economic system would have collapsed. Therefore, do things at the pace of the trajectory of growth. 18th century, 19th century, we still have slavery, don't we? Even in today's world, we still have certain countries that still allow slavery. May Allah help these people out of such a disgusting social circumstance that they're born into or forced into. Now, let me ask a question. If Islam was the champion of slave rights and civil rights movement, i.e., as the Prophet said, there is no difference between black and white, no difference between Arab and non Arab, why wasn't it that? These rights were championed from the 7th century to the 18th century. What happened? Islam just all but stopped. Where do you find, from Shia and Sunni, leadership pushing to end slavery altogether like the Prophet started? You don't see it, do you? So what happened? It came upon other people to realise and awaken slavery is bad. So what do they do? They tried to go to the priest's. And the priest said, what? Look here, the Bible says slavery is all right. The sons of Noah and the black son of Noah should be enslaved. So religion justified, enabled evil. And therefore it took people to circumvent religion and create their own movements. Had Islam proper, hakiki, been active, applied the way it was supposed to be applied by the eighth century, ninth century, 10th century, Slavery would have been gotten rid of altogether. Similarly, when it comes to female empowerment, had Islam been applied as it was supposed to be applied with that trajectory of growth, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have waited till the 18th century for the suffragettes. We wouldn't have waited till the 19th century for the feminist movement. Islam would have been, should have been, is women's empowerment in its nature. Imagine where women's rights would have been by the 8th century, 9th century, 10th century. But the dogmatic reading of these texts, coupled with the cultural norms, disintegrated the true Islamic movement. So what happened? Islam was nowhere to be seen. Muslim
1: leadership is nowhere to be seen. And people ran towards other movements of the suffragettes. And So you, you've, you've spoken about it in parts, and, and you've addressed it quite a lot here, but I, I think probably to end... Maybe I might be stitching up a little bit here, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on, I think, let's call it Western feminism? Or like the modern, the, like what's happening today in the world in terms of you've got things like the Time's Up movement, um, everything that's going on in Hollywood and, and, and everywhere else, freeing the nipple and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. There's, there's a lot of different movements. And I, I've I've seen recently, for example, you've got feminists on different ends of the spectrum yes. turning on each other. yes.
2: So so we can't, it's impossible to label feminism as one thing So I don't want the respective viewer When I say feminism We are talking about the width of feminism Which is so wide, Mm. right? We can't just label it as one thing And most people don't even know how to interpret this Because it's so wide But I'm going to make a general statement And then I want to clarify it I will argue Not feminism I will argue things like The Me Too movement I would argue things like what is happening to assist women in their protection from rape, protection from uh, uh, exploitation in the West is doing is, is 10 times ahead of what Muslims are and what Islam is. Islam and Muslims are playing catch up, not to feminism, playing catch up to the right, the protection of women and the establishment of women so much and this is proof that islam is not being interpreted in the right way islam is not being applied in the right way for western norms and western civil society to be trying to protect women and us find what's happening in india and pakistan at the level of rape the level of exploitation that's happening there proves that the western understanding of women's protection and its current needs Far ahead of the way in which the majority of scholars, mullahs, priests are actually understanding it. I'll give you one example. In Hollywood, there are five famous actresses that have started a fund to... Let's say a woman is abused, God forbid, a wife is abused. She needs to um, go to, to the law. She needs to get a lawyer to be able to push her rights. Often... Maybe a woman, she she doesn't have her own money. She doesn't have the access to the finance to be able to do it. So she can't press for her rights. In the West, they have started those funds, both at the governmental and at the social movement level, to be able to empower women to have access to legal funding for their rights, to be able to go and obtain their rights. Let's ask a question. Which scholar has understood... That from the collection of their zakat The collection of their khums The collection of their sadaqat There would be a fund To assist a woman Who is being oppressed For her to be able to go and get her rights Now someone will But now you're encouraging divorce Now you're encouraging that she has access to a lawyer And the lawyer is going to tell her to go and divorce That's a secondary argument You can come to that later on I'm talking about uh, Achievement of your right God forbid I've abused you. God forbid I've I've beaten you. And you want to go and get your rights. A lot of women in the Middle East, most of them, don't work. Don't have money for themselves. They're entirely dependent on their husbands and male counterparts. Where do you go to get your rights? If you go and try to get your rights, there's no money for you. The judge is normally male. The interpretation of Islam is on the male side. So now... In the Western sense, they're actually empowering women to get rights, to get justice. I'm asking that question, where is that from from the Islamic normative interpretation of Islam? Now the fact that Islam recedes, and I'm not talking about Islam Hakiki, Quran and Sunnah, I'm talking about Islam in its modern day context. Islam is receding from helping women from participating in those norms. And the Western society is going to achieve that for women, offering it for women. There's millions of dollars raised for legal aid. Where will our sisters go? Who looks like they are championing women's rights? And it's exactly what I said about slavery. The moment Islam Hakiki retreats from assisting in the trajectory of growth of society relative to time and space then we allow others to go and take that mantle. The problem is when they take that mantle, we don't know which direction they're going to take it in. It might be in feminism, where feminism historically has tried to destroy God altogether, has tried to destroy religion altogether, so people run towards that. Now we have the Muslim feminist. As opposed to the responsible people of religion interpreting religion as it ought to be interpreted. So you ask the question, where do i find the west where do i find islam where do i find the muslims i find the muslims by and large having ignored the rights of women and the concept altogether playing catch-up i find us still preaching the normative concept of seventh century arabia as opposed to understanding it in 2018 and i also find when it comes to assisting women in their empowerment through islam we have all but relegated ourselves, resigned ourselves from achieving that and that's allowed other people to come up and champion that movement and we're playing catch-up again in these things. So what would I call for? I would call for uh, a re-understanding of uh, Islam's responsibility towards women, number one. I would then call for an understanding of uh, paradigm shifts. We do not live in Saudi Arabia, we do not live in Iran, we do not live in Iraq, we do not live in Lebanon We do not need to interpret the law consistent with Iraqi norms, Saudi Arabian norms, needs to be consistent with our norms. And three, where we see such a powerful movement, such as the Me Too movement, Time's Up movement, Muslim leadership, scholastic leadership, and political and academic leadership needs to be at the forefront of understanding these things and seeing where our religion has already given the norms to assist that movement. Why should I have to turn to Hollywood or my sisters have to turn to Hollywood celebrities to get legal aid? Where is that legal aid within the text of Islam? And so long as we ignore these things, it's no surprise that people are rushing towards uh, Muslim feminists, rushing towards
1: Western feminism.
2: We're, we're way behind, way behind.
1: That's... Um I think potentially a, a, a good place to close not, not the most positive note No, but inshallah <laughs> hopefully people will be inspired To actually understand what their responsibilities
2: are no, When you see the, the tragic happenings in Pakistan and India And the rape of women, the exploitation of women You have to ask, where is Islam
1: today? No, of course um, But Yeah, awful pun here but our time's up like that. But, um, yeah, no. I mean, look. Just, just to kind of quickly recap, so we started where well, I started with the question about is Islam inherently misogynistic, which the wrong question. Yeah, which you wanted to end the podcast that, but we persevered, and we still uh, we spoke about um, gender roles within yes. within the family structure, yes. um, leadership, Muslim leadership, Muslim leadership, Muslim leadership. Um, Feminism as well, and I think to be honest, this is—I actually have more questions, but we—I I don't want to make this a, just one yeah. of your articles, which just <laughs> goes on and on. Ouch! know <laughs> that, that was a bit cold, sorry man. Um, but no, I—I I, want to genuinely thank you for for wow. offering thank your you insight for the invite. Um, yeah. and next time you're in town, let's definitely do this again. Look I've got a million and one topics we can discuss, Fantastic. and I mean the lectures that you're, you 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 deliver as well. Whenever you speak in different centres, I, I I've. I've been drawn to them personally because of the topics. Um, I remember once you spoke about when you on the topic of almost slavery, um, yeah. and you spoke. We, we took a clip. We posted on the Muslim vibe about the um, uh, people who work in sweatshops. Yeah. Um, and and that kind of stuff you don't often hear from religious circles. Where
2: is Islam helping these people? Yeah.
1: No, and, and that's the thing. So like the 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 lens at which you look at the world individually I think is very unique in that sense and I hope you kind of continue and sure. and are able to kind of With keep your, doing what you're support, doing
2: support of the audience in of course
1: yeah. No, thank you very much um, where, where? how can people find you your work we have um, a personal and a
2: fan page on Facebook under the name of Jaffa Ladakh okay. and also a Twitter handle under the same name at Jaffa Ladakh so feel free to engage and Abuse
1: me. Yeah yeah. yeah. Um, I'll I'll, I'll drop you his email address as well for if you <laughs> if you want to donate towards getting into heaven. I'm sure you can help with that as we mentioned earlier. <laughs> Papa needs a brand new pair of everything. <laughs> and yeah, also please make dua for Sheikh, he is a Tottenham fan. Um and, and we pray that he's guided. Uh, I think we'll we'll probably end it there. Uh, this has been another episode of the T M V podcast by the Muslim Vibe, sponsored by Wahid Invest. Assalamualaikum alaikum warahmatullahi wa barakatuh
0: Wahed helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you 8 simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy.